Good morning, Idaho. I hope you're having a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to the local Yokel Idaho podcast, where we talk about what is going on in the wonderful state of Idaho. This week, we have a lot of interesting stories, starting off with the Greater Northwest Passage Summit, where Antrac looks to come to Idaho. Then we move into some stone teepees down south. Plus, we close out with an interesting story involving Idaho, NASA, BSU, and beavers. Yes, beavers. Please join me for the morning banter. But if you're short on time and prefer to skip the banter, you can use the timestamp down in the description to jump straight to the stories. Welcome, everyone. I hope you all had a wonderful week. I most certainly had a busy one, to say the least, shall we say. And it's been very hot. I think we can all agree on that. Idaho officially decided to turn on the afterburners, and we are living on the face of the sun. I know it regularly tries to do that, and we all kind of get used to it to a certain point. I mean, it is it is very odd, I will admit, how we acclimate as humans, because I don't know how many of you have experienced that or how long you've been here in Idaho, because I know some people, a lot of immigrants here, shall we say, but that like you'll have in the spring season where we'll have our fake spring, and you're used to that like daily 32 degrees Fahrenheit high or whatever, or 20 sometimes, and then you get one day where the fake spring hits, and the high is like 50 50 or 40, something like that. And you go out and you're like, it's summertime. But then your brain can remember the previous year when it was like 100 or something, which is only like 50 degrees warmer. And you called that summer, but then when it dropped anything below like 60, which is still 10 degrees higher than 50, right? That you were like freezing. But yet you're sitting there in the middle of winter or early winter or or not early winter, but like late winter, early spring. And you're sitting out there and you're like, but this feels warm. It's amazing how much our bodies can acclimate and we'll probably get used to this hot weather. And then once it gets down to 70 again, we'll be like, oh, this is so nice. Even though 70, 70, 80 is still reasonably hot. It's just crazy how the human body can adjust. Honestly, my personal opinion is the people who like the heat and are fine with the heat because I've met people like that are the people that are able to kind of, they regularly are outside in the heat and so they just kind of acclimate to it rather than the people that are always like sitting inside in air-conditioned houses and whatever all day long, then the heat, they just, they can't take it. So my advice for anyone, if you want to be more comfortable outside in Idaho in all seasons, just make sure to get outside on a pretty regular basis and be out in it for a couple hours because then your body adjusts and you get more acclimated to it and it all kind of works out, shall we say. But with that said, I am looking forward to going up north. I think this weekend or past weekend for you guys, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to go do a hike. I am so excited and so looking forward to it, especially with the hot weather that is currently bombarding the valley. Um, It should be great. If I do go up there, I'll make sure to get some footage and different stuff and post it over there on the Twitter. I would post it on the Instagram, which is an interesting story. I actually tried to start the Instagram account last week. And then I realized as I was trying to do it that it blocked me. And I'm like, why is it blocked me? It's been so long. And I looked at it and they block you for 180 days if you argue against the original suspension, which they didn't give me a reason for the record. If someone wants to call my bluff, I'll post the email that they sent me or whatever saying that I violated something. And then I went to try to appeal it. I'm guessing it was like something for bot stuff. I I don't know. Um, But I tried to appeal it. And I got shot down. And so the Instagram thing is banned from my account or whatever, my email anyways, for the channel 
for 180 days, which that means I got banned in April, so I can't open an account until October of this year. So if you guys are wondering, and I've had a couple people ask me, they're like, oh, cool, you know, you do all these trips and different things, and you're always kind of talking a little bit on the podcast about traveling and seeing different parts of Idaho. What is there a place that you post that for the podcast, like Instagram? Because Instagram is really great for photos. And I'm like, I know, I know, but I can't. Facebook really doesn't like me. <laughs> it really, really does not like me. So I'm trying to get on there. But if you want something more consistent, which I know I'm probably never going to get banned on, I would highly recommend you go over Twitter. I know it can be a little bit scary. Don't get me wrong. Because, you know, it's Twitter and all the fighting that sometimes happens. But in general, I would say the Idaho community on there, as long as you don't get into politics, I will admit that. If you get into politics on there, on the the Idaho community on Twitter, when you get into politics, there are so many of the lefties in Idaho on Twitter in there. And so it, it can get a little, little contentious. We'll put it that way. Um, but if you're just talking about like farming and posting photos of, of your family and different things, it's actually just fine. And I, I haven't figured it out yet, but I think Twitter has this like spaces thing that they have. And it's kind of like how you have on Instagram that you can have like a, a private account and then you have to, you have to like request to get in and you can decide what levels they can see, which I've been toying with that a little bit. So it's a little, it's quite Instagrammy, and you can do some stories and stuff kind of like that. So if you want something where you don't feel like you're going to get banned as much, maybe go over there. But anywho, if you want to see some footage, it's going to be on Twitter because that's just the only place that I can kind of get on there to do that. And I don't have posting capability on YouTube. With that said, I do have a quick question for you guys before I wrap up the morning banter here. What is your favorite part of the podcast? I know right now I have a lot of, my time is limited. We'll put it that way because I'm doing a part-time job and then doing this on the other hand and I want it to grow. And I thank you guys for all the support you have given me on this podcast and regularly listening and it means the world to me. But with that said, I'm trying to figure out how to most wisely spend my time because I have a limited time when making these episodes and the podcast. And so if you guys could give me feedback on what part of the podcast is the most important to you and what the reason you listen, I guess, would maybe be the best way to say that. You know, is it the kind of holidays and weekly facts kind of opener? Is it the quickies where you really don't want a ton of my commentary? You just need to hear it really quick. Then I can do something like that. And that would free me up to do more time to maybe do some YouTube videos. Or do you like more of that conversational bit and you kind of click off when we get to the quickies? Or what exactly? Or is it more that you're interested in politics? And so you want the more of a focus on that. And you're like, oh, cool, you've got all these nice stories. But I'd really like to learn more about how Idaho politics works. Or yada, yada. If they, or maybe more interviews or something that you really enjoyed that interview I had with Forrest. Please, please reach out and let me know. Because at the end of the day, I want to make the podcast be something that you guys all enjoy. And that you want to regularly listen to week in and week out. And I'm just trying to figure out how to achieve that with the limited amount of time I have and be wise with how I spend it and I get the biggest bang for my buck, shall we say. So if you want to message me on Twitter, that's great. If you want to do that email, that's great. You can find that. That's plastered everywhere. Um, if not, granted, I will say, I think the Anchor app or whatever, or on the link of all the episodes I turned it on, you can also send me a voice message or whatever else. So that also works as well. If you want to have it be a little bit more personal, either case, I would love to hear your input. With that said, wrapping up the morning banter, thank you for listening to me kind of rambling a little bit and that little bit of a request. Um, and we'll move into the news here. 
Starting off with our first one here in news, Great Northwest Passage Rail Summit. This comes by KTVB7 by Andrew Bartline. Something I know I'm very excited about, and you may be as well. This last week, Boise held a summit called the Greater Northwest Passage Rail Summit. At this, a group of Treasure Valley leaders met with Amtrak CEO Stephen Gardner to discuss the possibility of adding a stop in Boise as part of its Empire Building service, which currently runs between Chicago, Portland, and Oregon. The Empire Builder is one of Amtrak's most popular routes and will be a major economic boon for the Treasure Valley if it stopped in Boise. The leaders also discussed the possibility of creating a new passenger train service that would connect Boise with Salt Lake. The service would be shorter than the Empire Builder, but it would still be a valuable connection for the Treasure Valley. The Amtrak CEO was receptive to the proposal, and he said that Amtrak is interested in exploring the possibility of bringing passenger train service to the Treasure Valley. However, he said there are a number of factors that need to be considered before its decision can be made, such as the cost of the service and the availability of funding. Leaders are hopeful that Amtrak will be able to make a decision about passenger train service to the Treasure Valley in the future. If Amtrak does decide to bring passenger train service to the region, it would be a major economic development win for the Treasure Valley. In addition to the economic benefits, passenger train service would also provide a number of benefits to the Treasure Valley, such as reducing traffic congestion, improving air quality, and providing a more sustainable transportation option. Which, I don't know, I might be the only one in all of Idaho that seems to find this interesting, except for one person. There was someone on Twitter I tweeted or talked to, replied or whatever, that was interested and excited about this. Um, I actually almost ended up going to this event and trying to actually be there, and then I could actually interview some people on the ground and talk about it and stuff. But um, let's put it this way. I went out, I went to find, and it wasn't like a public event. You had to get go tickets for it, you see. And I went onto the event to say, okay, let me find out what the tickets costs are, whatever. For the base, like not any special like, you know, VP status or whatever, just the base to get in was like 180 or something. It, it was crazy. Um, I have never paid that much for a ticket. I mean, I paid a considerable amount for like a play or maybe, I mean, yeah, a plane flight technically is a ticket or whatever. So I paid a little bit more in that sense. But I, I was just like, it's not in the budget. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. I'm just going to have to suffice with watching live streams and other people's content and stuff. I really wanted to go. It was also like in the middle of the work week. So, I mean, I get why because it's kind of like a business type of thing. So the people that are interested, it's not off time for them for business. So it works. But it just wasn't something I was going to be able to make, sadly. But I guess coming back to that on my opinion, the whole thing, I know you guys have probably heard it before. And if you haven't, I think the idea of passenger rail coming to Idaho or just the U.S. in general investing more in passenger rail is a wonderful thing. Now, I could totally hear someone say that is more, I don't, I don't know, maybe progressive. I'm using the word very poorly there, but someone who wants for improvement, right? That they're like, well, trains, we've already done those. Like in a sense, they didn't work and they're slow. And there's a reason they got phased out, which is a fair argument. But I would argue to that, that there is a place for passenger rail in the United States, especially. And that's why it hasn't gone out in Europe because it does have a place. And where's that place? Well, you have aircraft and you have those for when time is a factor that you're concerned about. Where I need to get across the country in the quickest, most efficient manner. Then an aircraft makes perfect sense. 
because I need to get across the country in under a day or I need to get to Seattle in a couple hours or whatever. That makes sense. That's where aircraft is supreme and that's its role and that's where it does amazingly. And then on the other hand, we have road tripping, which is the slowest out of all of them, but you get to see all the countryside, right? You get to kind of explore. You have that freedom that you have the car with you wherever you go, but it is the slowest and you do it when you don't care anything about time. Time is no factor in a sense, or if it is a factor, it's on a factor of like weeks or days or whatever to travel. Um, That's when you road trip. Right? Well, I think trains can be this nice in between of where it's like, hey, it's not the fastest way to get around. It's not aircraft, nor is it the most like leisurely in the sense of like a car or whatever. But you can get in a train, you'll get there probably quicker than the car because there's going to be less chance for construction and weather's not going to be a concern that's going to slow you down. Right? But also, it gives you more luxury and comfort that you're going to be able to walk around. You're going to be able to stretch your legs. You're going to have the dining car. You aren't going to be crammed like you are in an aircraft or like when you're driving in a car. Um, there's always one person that's kind of stuck at the steering wheel that has to be vigil. When you're on a train, you can walk around. You can enjoy the view. And so I think it's a perfect little in-between there where someone's like, hey, I want it a little faster, but also I want it to be a little bit nicer than when I'm driving with the car because then you can kind of get up and go around in a train and walk and stretch your legs and kind of view things and have conversations. That's where I think trains would be amazing. And we see that over in Europe. I think it would be amazing to bring that to back to America, especially out West. I know back East, I've heard that they have more trains still going on with Amtrak and stuff. And it doesn't have to be Amtrak per se. I'm not saying that, but I think it would be an amazing investment to have that back so that when you don't need the fastest way to get around, but you still want to travel around reasonably comfortably and in a way that weather generally doesn't ground, trains are really great at going through a lot of bad weather, a lot of bad weather. One of the rare things that stops them is snow and it just, they have to clear the line and assuming you don't have another snow thing that lands on it or bad weather, you can still go through rather than certain aircraft when it's too hot or this or that, they can't do it rather than a train. It's a lot more reliable in that sense. There was a reason why people would time their watches (laughs) by when the train passed their town because it was way more consistent in that sense. So anyway, ramble side, I'm really excited about this. Um, mainly for the idea. I think it's cool to be able to think that on a weekend I could get off work on a Friday and I could go get a ticket for a train, go to the Boise Depot, wherever, you know, get on a train, travel up to Seattle, um, then spend the weekend there or all of Saturday enjoying it and everything and kind of the enjoyment of a larger city and some of the beautiful things that Seattle has. I know as a conservative, it has its political reasons and things that it's not great and we all get that. Um, but I think it would just be so cool to have that. And then you could travel back on Saturday and then you could be back for church on Sunday, or maybe you travel back on Sunday evening or whatever, and you get to do all that. There's no rush. There's no TSA that you're having to deal with like you do with like aircraft and stuff. Um, and you can do that on a regular basis. I knew many people I've talked to that lived here before they stopped doing passenger rail. They would talk about that when they were a kid, their parents would take them and they would go to Seattle or they'd go to the Oregon coast just for the weekend. Cause they could take the train. It wasn't the level of commitment that a road trip was. They could just get on the train, go do their thing and then come back. They didn't have to. And I think anyone with a big family understands this. A road trip is a big commitment because you got to figure out 
everything to make it happen. Rather than train, some of that's already figured out for you. Just kind of get to your destination there. But long ramble, short. I think it's really cool and it'll be super interesting to see as this progresses. But moving into our next one here, these next two are going to be a little iffy, shall we say. We have to get through the sad ones because, you know, they do exist, sadly. Boise fighting back against graffiti. This comes by the Boise Dev by Margaret Carmel. For those that lived or live in the Boise area, many of you know that graffiti has been a problem in Boise for some time. Many of you expressed concerns about the tags popping up around the city, and the city has been working to address the issues. Under the current rules, private property owners are responsible for cleaning up graffiti on their property. However, this would change, especially for small businesses or homeowners who don't have the resources to hire a professional. The newly proposed ordinance would allow the city to clean up graffiti on private property and then bill the property owner for the cost. The city would also be able to issue citations to people who graffiti private property. The ordinance is still in the early stages of development, but is a clear sign that the city of Boise is taking graffiti seriously. In addition to the proposed ordinance, the city is also working to implement other measures to deter graffiti. This would include increasing public awareness of the problem, providing resources for property owners to clean up graffiti on their own and working with the community to develop solutions. The city is committed to making Boise a graffiti-free city. The proposed ordinance and other measures are just one part of the city's overall strategy to address this problem. Now, I lived in Boise for 15 years. I grew up there. Um, I'll be the first to admit that. I now live out in Caldwell and love it so much more. Love the kind of country atmosphere way more than the big city. Granted, it is kind of nice when we lived in Boise that everything was just close that we traveled through and to and different things. That's one thing I do miss, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I would trade all that for the joy of Caldwell in the country. But with that said, as I was growing up in Boise and stuff, I don't personally remember a lot of graffiti or it being a bad thing. But then again, I, I I hear this is more of a recent development. We'll put it that way. Um, I don't know. I was like reading this article and as I was writing the script for it, I kept going back and forth on it. If this is a good or bad thing. Because on the one hand, as it stood in the past, um, it was on the property owner to get rid of the graffiti. And so you would have this issue where certain property owners are like, it's not worth the time. I'm not going to deal with it. It's just there. If they've graffitied it once, they're probably not going to come back because they want a clean canvas to do stuff. So I'm just going to leave it and let it be. And so you would just have this graffiti staying there and staying there and staying there. And then you have legal issues because then the city's like, hey, you need to get that down. We don't want it there. And then the property owner's like, well, I don't want to spend the money, so you spend it. And the city's like, well, we can't legally technically do it because it's your property and then back and forth and back and forth. And so the city's kind of doing this and saying, nope, we're taking it on. We clean it up, but we will bill you for it, um, which then kind of forces the person to deal with it. But then I don't know if they will or won't, which then maybe that'll incentivize businesses to try to do more to prevent it. I don't know. Um, that's where I think self-government comes into, and this is the beauty of it, that if the city, if the whole city of Boise decides that they like this idea or proposal or are open to trying it, they can try it. And if it doesn't work, then they can roll it back. And I think in general, I mean, maybe just me, but I have moments where I think, well, don't put a law into place because it'll never get changed again because we think of that way and it's definitely true when it comes into like the national level, the federal level, and sometimes even at the state level. It takes so long after a law is passed to get it turned back for good reason at times. 
um, that some people are very gun shy about trying and experimenting and doing things because what if it gets stuck on the books and it's a bad law, right? Um, but when you're talking about things at a city level, at a local level, um, I think a lot of people forget how much effect you really do have on your local events and politics and cities and towns and stuff that I have seen certain things that got passed one year that then happened and then literally like two years later, they rolled it back and it was completely gone and they said, nope, that didn't work, moving on. And so I think the best way to do this is for local cities to experiment, to do this. And then the legislature and also within, you know, the state legislature and then state to federal all the way down the chain, everyone can kind of be looking down at each one as it gets experimented with and then says, oh, that worked pretty well there. Let's move it up another notch. Oh, it worked pretty well there. Let's move it up another notch. And oh, that worked pretty well. Let's move it up another notch. And that's the beauty of self-government. And I would argue American government to kind of see that beauty that we can try. We can experiment. And thankfully, we can do that in our small little local politics. But in any case, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think that it's a bad thing for them to be billing property owners? Should it stay the way it is? It would be interesting to hear your take on this because I'm really not decided either and it seems to be a little bit of back and forth there in Boise as well. Next one here is National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in Idaho. This comes by the East Idaho News by staff. So a very sad story to talk about, but something I thought worth sharing. I will leave it in the parents' hands for this one. In this article, I'll be talking about suicide and the numbers related to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in Idaho. If you have kids, you may want to skip it, but I leave that in your hands. With that said, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a 24-7 toll-free number that provides confidential support for people in distress. The Lifeline is available to anyone in the United States regardless of their location or background. In its first year, the Lifeline received nearly 5 million calls, but sadly, out of all those 5 million calls, 12,657 were from people in Idaho. The calls come from people of all ages, genders, and backgrounds. The Lifeline is staffed by trained counselors counselors who are available to listen and offer support. They can also provide information about resources in your area. In the article, they provided some signs of someone that may be considering suicide, which are the following, talking about wanting to die, talking about feeling hopeless or having no reason to live, talking about feeling trapped or likewise no way out, and then lastly, and obviously, making plans for suicide. With that said, if you are someone struggling with suicidal thoughts, they are urging people to ask for help and at least call the lifeline. And if you see any of those with the signs we spoke about above, they are asking for you to please reach out to Lifeline and other trusted adults for help which really really sad topic to talk about i won't stay on it too much because i don't have uh, a ton that i want to kind of add on this and also i surprisingly don't have a lot to add on this um i haven't been ever suicidal in my life shall we say and also surprisingly i mean statistically surprisingly for those that understand the statistics um, my age group, that being younger adults, has the highest level currently in the United States of suicides. I've heard of people that have committed suicides that, you know, it's it's like a friend and their friend or a friend of a friend had it or whatever else. And so I haven't really ever had that directly happen where someone I've known or been close with or friends with has ever done that per se. So I can't really speak a ton to it. But I do know in kind of the outer fringes of my circle and people that I know, it seemingly has ticked up. I've heard more of it from friends of friends and all that and everything. I praise the Lord. I haven't had to deal with it directly 
with friends around me. Maybe that just means I'm really encouraging to friends. I mean, that's the, that's the positive way, I guess, to look at it. Um, but I would say in general, just as a country, um, we, we should be looking at the why, trying to learn and figure out why this is, trying to figure out, because something, something isn't working, right? If suicides keep climbing, right? We just don't ignore it and say, ah, life's just tough and, you know, this generation is weak. Well, you know, that might be a bit of it, but I don't think that tra- pushes someone to suicide per se. And that, that comes down to a cultural issue, an issue where the culture that we have isn't well equipping people or giving them the hope that they would need to go through tough times. Because to go through tough times, you don't need to be tough, but you need to have a worldview that can handle tough things. If you don't have a worldview that doesn't handle tough things and you take away someone's why, their worldview, their religion, if you want to use that word, then they crumble. And if they have nothing to stand on, then suicide gets very, very tempting because, well, if there's no reason why to live, then why do it at all, right? Um, and so I, I, as a Christian, would encourage you, if you're feeling that way towards suicide, um, start just reading God's word. I, I beg you, one, exercise, two, get more sleep, and three, read God's word. If at the end of it, you've done all of those and you're still feeling that way, then try to find some outside help because at the end of the day, I personally, and I think any sane human being out there, um, suicide is not an option. There is hope. There, even though we do live in a dark world that is ruled by sin, shall we say, by the devil, there is still hope. There is hope to be had, and I would encourage you to read God's word and to reach out to another fellow human being for help. And if you have no one in your life that you feel like would be constructive or helpful, because I met people like that, that have families that are just dysfunctional and struggling, and that's hard, and I'm sorry for that, and or not myself personally, but I'm sorry that that's something that you had to go through, but um, there's a God out there that loves you very, very much. And in his word, he lays out how to work through those hard and difficult emotions and how to pull, pull yourself out of that spot, shall we say. So trust on him and please read a Bible. With that said, we'll move on to the next one here. Moving on into a little bit more of an uplifting note, shall we say. Stone teepees of southern Idaho. This comes by the Boise Dev by Ann Daly. Near the southern border of Idaho, just outside the town of Oakley, Idaho. Really love the town name, by the way. If there's anyone there from Oakley, Idaho, please message me. I love your guys' town name. Super cool. There is a unique rock formation that looks like a teepee. These series of white cone-shaped rocks rise up from the sandy hill. The rocks were named after the resemblance to teepees, the traditional dwelling for Native Americans, as many of us know from Westerns. The teepee rocks are made of a tough type of volcanic rock that is formed when ash and other debris are ejected from a volcano. The rocks were created, as you could guess, from a series of volcanic eruptions that occurred in the area at some point. The rocks are a popular destination for hikers and rock climbers. There are also several trails that lead to the top of the rocks where you can enjoy a panoramic view of the surrounding countryside. In addition to their natural beauty, TP rocks are also home to a variety of wildlife. The area is a popular nesting spot for eagles and hawks, and you may also see deer, coyotes, and other animals. If you're looking for a unique and beautiful place to explore in Idaho, be sure to check out the rock teepees. It is a great place to hike, climb, and enjoy the outdoors. But really, really cool. It's kind of interesting the more that I've done this podcast, some of the unique kind of geological things that I've learned that exist in Idaho. I mean, I'm just at this point building up a repertoire of things to go make YouTube videos on for the channel now, just waiting, just keep grabbing them, keep researching them, shall we say. 
Um, but it looks like something definitely very interesting to go travel from if you're in the Boise or the eastern part of Idaho just for a day trip to go hiking. Granted, I will admit when I was like looking at it and then thinking of the weather we're having lately, might want to wait until a little bit towards the fall. Probably be really nice to be out there. The bugs will be a lot less. You'll have your first frost. Or you could do a little bit of stargazing. If you do that, then you could probably be going out this time of year because then it'll be hot during the day. But in the evenings, it'll be really nice. But in any case, a really cool bit of like Idaho geography, geology type of thing to look at and an interesting place to go hiking if you've got some spare time to head that way. But now moving from rocks to fishing, fishing for Idaho's biggest. This comes by the East Idaho News by Idaho Fish and Game. As many of you know, Idaho is home to some of the best fishing in the country. Proud of it. So the Idaho Fish and Game wrote an article that goes over tips for catching some of Idaho's biggest fish this summer. Let's go over them and see how these tips are. The first one is do your research before you head out to the lake. Take some time to research the species you're targeting. Learn about their preferred habitats, feeding habits, and best habits or lures to use. I think that's pretty fair as a person who likes to go fishing. Granted, then again, if you've got a family member, shall we say, that already knows a lot of that, then uh, you can kind of learn it vicariously, should we say. And then number two, take your trip at the right time. Different species of fish are active at different times of the day and year. Do some research to find out what is the best time to fish for your target species. That's pretty fair unless you're just really good or know the spots. There are certain spots that they're active and other spots they're not. And if you got the right bait and know the right time, then you're fine. Number three, choose the right gear. You don't need to have the most expensive gear to catch big fish, but you need the gear that is appropriate for the species you're targeting and for the conditions that you'll be fishing in which is definitely true, shall we say. You don't need to have super expensive gear to get the job done. Granted, it makes life a lot easier sometimes. Number four, find the right spot. Big fish tend to hang out in specific spots such as deep pools, eddies, and undercut bakes. Do some scouting before you start fishing and find the best spots. To a point, it really depends on the time of year, you know, when you're fishing and stuff. Um, sometimes they're in deep pools, sometimes they're eddies, sometimes they're not. It really... It just depends on the type of your fish you're going after, what time of year, and how they're doing. Um, the best way to find out is just to fish pretty regularly. You'll kind of get the hang of it there. Five, be patient. Definitely. Fishing can be a lot of fun, but it's important to be patient. Don't get discouraged if you don't catch a fish right away. Just keep at it, and eventually you'll be rewarded. If you're in the right spot, that's the key thing. Don't. If you're... Be patient, yes, but sometimes you need to keep moving, keep trying, keep testing, you know, have multiple lines out there. It's kind of like life a little bit, you know. Uh, number six, use the right bait or lure. The right bait or lure can make a big difference in your chances of catching a big fish. Experiment with different baits, lures, and find out what works best for you. Pretty fair advice, shall we say. Also, same with the patience thing. Don't change lures super quickly. It may just be a little bit of the tactic of how you use the lure, shall we say. Present your bait and lure correctly. How you present your bait or lure can also make a difference. Make sure you're casting it in the right spot and use the right retrieval. A little bit more technical there, but very good point, I think, as well. Eight, use the right technique. There are different techniques that are more effective for catching different species of fish. Do some research to find out what techniques are best for your target species. This is true. Also, the fact, I will admit, going fishing with my grandpa, you don't often do top water shall we say in Idaho because most of the time when you're fishing in Idaho the water is not clear enough for top water that like it is back east sometimes and so you really don't want to do top water as much because it's just 
it won't work. There's rare cases that it is the way to go, but it's not always the case. So some techniques that some people might say, you got to adjust for the lakes and the water that we have here in Idaho. Number nine, be persistent. If you don't catch a fish on your first try, don't give up. Keep at it. And eventually you'll be rewarded. I can attest to this. There'll be some days I've gone fishing with my grandpa and there have not been a lot of bites, but you got to keep going. There's good days and bad days and the bad days make the good days so much more sweet. And then number 10, of course, have fun. Fishing is supposed to be fun. Don't forget to enjoy yourself. This is fully true. And also just to relax. I think some people go on fishing and think it needs to be a big social event or whatever. It can also be a really relaxing and recharging thing to just be out in nature, have a reasonably complex-ish task that's repetitive to kind of do and just enjoy the beauty of God's creation and also have an excuse to kind of go explore and see other parts of Idaho as well. Um, fishing is just such a wonderful blessing. I've been so thankful that my grandpa has taught me and taken me on so many fishing trips. Um, and I think you should try it well. If you haven't tried it, please, please do. Also, I beg you, don't go fishing off the dock. That really isn't like the best. Um, go do a little bit of exploring. Honestly, if you're thinking about going fishing, some of the small little out of the way um, pools or lakes are usually better if you don't have a boat. If you've got a boat, then, you know, start going exploring some of the reservoirs and stuff and doing fishing there. But trust me, if you keep doing it, if you really want to be good at fishing, you got to keep trying, keep talking to guys, you'll figure it out. You know, you'll get there. Lastly, we come to our fun one. Try to leave the last one to be a fun or interesting story. This one definitely is based off the title. Idaho, NASA, BSU, and Beavers. This comes by KTVB7 by Kara Valentine. So at one point, beavers were a common sight in Idaho, but according to researchers, their numbers declined due to hunting and habitat loss. Back in 1948, I did not know about this at all. It's actually kind of funny. Idaho fishing game went so far as parachuting beavers out of airplanes into areas where they were trying to bring them back into the local ecosystem. With that said, in recent years, the interest in bringing beavers back has grown. And with some newfangled technology, shall we say, they're taking a different approach. One of the organizations leading the charge is the Idaho Department of Fish and Game. The department is working to identify suitable areas for reintroduction and developing a plan for beaver reintroduction. The Idaho Department of Fish and Game believes that beavers can play an important role in restoring Idaho's ecosystem. According to them, beavers are ecosystem engineers, which means they modify their environment in ways that benefit other species. For example, beavers dams create wetlands which provide habitats for fish, amphibians, and other birds that prey on the previously mentioned animals. The department is hopeful that the project will help restore beaver populations in Idaho and benefit the state's ecosystem. They are currently working with other organizations such as the Idaho Conservation League, the Nature Conservancy, and the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation to develop a plan for beaver reintroduction. Plus, NASA is bringing in their muscle here a little bit, providing satellite imagery to help identify suitable habitats for beaver reintroduction. The imagery can be used to track beaver activity and identify areas where beavers are likely to thrive. Which, I had no idea Idaho Fishing Game did that, that they launched beavers out of aircraft with parachutes to try to get them into given areas. I mean, I guess it makes sense in the 19, like, 40s and 50s and stuff when I have no doubt roads and the ability to get in there and the cost for helicopters and different stuff. It was like, well, the beaver needs to be there and we got an aircraft and we put a parachute and he gets down there. So let's do it. I don't know how they figured out how the beaver was going to get out of the parachute after he landed or 
I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the beaver was probably thinking, but kind of just a funny side note there. Um, but it is cool they're going to be using NASA and other things to try to be like, okay, cool. We want to bring these back into habitat, but we just can't put them everywhere. We got to find the spots that'll work and where they're needed in the ecosystem to kind of bring them back. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they use the parachute method again. But also, I have a slight background in GIS, and I do know when they're talking about the NASA stuff, this uses GIS. GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems. That's what college was for, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that they're using the satellite imagery to then look at it. You can you can see changes. Landsat, you can actually go and open your own public account and stuff to see the regular changes and they're using that map data to then look down and be like, okay, this is where the foliage is changing different stuff. And they're looking for certain key parameters that then they can either tail the AI or an algorithm to pick out for them in those imageries and those locations, which is super cool. I'm glad they're using this technology. It's not just like, well, we think beavers should be here. And so we're going to put them in there. Um, they're actually taking a little bit of a more thought provoking way to do that. I don't know if the article's kind of stretching itself here to say that NASA themselves has reached out to kind of help out with it or if uh, they're just grabbing data that NASA has publicly available. I don't know. Either way, great to see um, and kind of a cool thing. I know I have actually seen a lot of beavers, but I think that's because they're nocturnal. Don't quote me. I'm not a biologist. Um, I, th I think that's the case why I've never seen one. Um, cause I know there's one there at like, um, oh, what is it? Albertsons park. Yeah. Albertsons. There's like a beaver dam in there or whatever, but I've never seen one. I'm assuming kind of the nocturnal element and everything, but who knows? Um, I think more beavers, it's a cool thing to have. And I think it's something that should be encouraged as long as, you know, it's in moderation and we're not currently telling farmers they can't do that or timber cutters or different stuff, you know, all in moderation. Man needs to live. Animals need to live. Also, man, kind of a little bit more of a higher priority there than I would say the wildlife, shall we say. Our, our top priority should be image bearers of God, not just creation, but we should take care of creation. It is in our stay and God's given it to us and we need to be good stewards of it in the way that we take care of it. Moving into the quickies, these are stories that weren't worth a full discussion and commentary and everything, but I still think were valuable for you guys to know about and to get into. This week, we have a lot of them, let's put it that way. Starting off here with Northern Idaho Motorcycle Rally. This comes by the Bonner Ferry Herald by Emily Bonsant. For those into motorcycles in Idaho, this might be a fun event to go to. The To the Border Motorcycle Rally will take place from July 28th to July 30th at the Jake's Landing and Port Hill. This is the first motorcycle rally to be held in the Boundary County in quite some time. The organizers are hoping it will be a big success. The event is open to all brands of motorcycles, both on and off-road. There are plenty of activities to keep attendees busy, including camping, live music, food vendors, and of course, plenty of riding. The organizers are also planning a few special events, such as a poker run and a burnout contest. If you are a motorcycle enthusiast, it is a great opportunity to meet other riders, explore the beautiful scenery of the Boundary County, and to have some fun. For more information, you can visit to the Border Motorcycle Rally website or follow them on social media. Next, we have new commander at Mountain Home Air Force Base. This comes by KTVB7 by staff. Mountain Home Air Force Base is getting a new commander, Colonel Michael Arfaro, assumed command of the 366 Fighter Wing on Tuesday, succeeding Colonel Ernesto Di Vittorio. Hopefully, I got that right. My apologies if I didn't. 
Arfaro comes to Mountain Home after leading the fourth operation group at Seymour Johnson AFB in North Carolina. He is a command pilot with more than 2,200 in flight hours in an F-15E Strike Eagle fighter jet. In his new role, Alfaro will be responsible for leading more than 5,000 airmen at Mountain Home, which is home to the largest F-15E fleet in the world. Super cool to see that. Alfaro is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and has served in a variety of command and staff positions throughout his career. He is a combat veteran with experience in Operation Iraq Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. In a statement, Afar said he was honored to be selected to lead the 366th Fighter Wing. He said he is looking forward to working with airmen at Mountain Home to, quote, continue to deliver the world's premier combat air power, end quote. Speaking of kind of government things, Little Signs $300 million property tax. This comes by the Boise Dev by Margaret Carmel. Governor Brad Little signed a bill into law that would provide $1.2 billion in property tax relief over the next year. The bill includes a number of different measures, including a $100 million increase in the state's homestead exemption, which would shield homeowners from paying property taxes on the first $100,000 of the value of their home a new $1 million tax credit for businesses that invest in Idaho, and lastly, a $50 million increase in funding for the state's property tax relief fund, which helps low-income homeowners pay their property taxes. The bill has been met with some mixed reactions. Some people support the measure, saying that it will provide much-needed relief for homeowners and businesses. Others say the measure is not enough and that the state should do more to address the rise of cost of property taxes. The bill is now law, and the property tax relief measure went into to effect on July 1st, 2023. Moving into something to accompany with the hot weather, the still ice cream comes to Nampa. This comes by the Boise Deb by Autumn Robertsons. Good news for all those out in the hot weather. The still and Idaho-based ice cream chain is opening a new Nampa location. They have three locations in Boise and the new Nampa location is going to be their fourth one. It is set to open on July 28th. The new location is located at 1225 First Street South in Nampa. It is a historic building that was formerly the 1225 Bistro and the Wine Bar. The still is known for its creative ice cream flavors such as GJ View, I think that's how you say it, a combination of chocolate and peanut butter, and the Bake Sale, a combination of chocolate chip cookies and cream. They also have a variety of toppings such as fresh fruit, candy, and nuts. The new Nampa location will have a similar menu to the other still locations. It will also have a full bar, which offers beer, wine, and cocktails. Moving a little bit more northerly, St. Luke's opens newly expanded hospital in McCall. This comes by the Boise Dev by Autumn Robertson's. For those in McCall, here is some good news about an expansion at the St. Luke's McCall Hospital. The expansion cost $2 million and added 20,000 square feet of space to the hospital. It includes a new emergency department, a new operating room, a new imaging service. It also includes a new patient tower with 20 private rooms. A combination of private donations and state funds funded the expansion. It is part of the St. Luke's commitment to providing quality health care for the people of McCall and the surrounding area. The hospital says the expansion will help it meet the growing demands of healthcare in the region. It is also expected to create new jobs in the community. St. Luke says it has already hired 50 new employees to staff the new facility. The expansion of the St. Luke's Hospital is a major investment in the community and is expected to improve the quality of healthcare in the region and create new jobs. 
Next, we have Idaho Fire Report. This comes by several sources. I thought I would give you guys a update on the wildfires burning in Idaho right now. There are currently two major ones, probably a couple others, but these are the main two. The first is the Gold Run Fire, which is located near Ola in Jim County. The fire is currently estimated to be 50 acres in size and is 0% contained. We'll leave that off. The cause of the fire is under investigation. The second wildfire is the Salmon River Fire, which is located in Lemon. High County. The fire is currently estimated to be 400 acres in size and is 20% contained. The cause of the fire is also still under investigation. Both fires are burning in rugged terrain and firefighters are working to contain the fires. Thankfully, none of them are currently threatening any structures, but smoke from the fires is affecting air quality in the surrounding areas. If you are in the area of these fires, please be aware of the smoke and take precautions to protect your health. Meridian man arrested for stalking Caldwell City Council members. This comes by KTVB7 by Idaho Press Staff. A little bit of a disturbing story out of Caldwell. A Meridian man has been arrested for stalking and threatening Caldwell City Council members. A man identified as a 35-year-old Christopher Jones is accused of sending threatening emails and messages to several council members. He also allegedly showed up to their houses and followed them around town. He was arrested last Wednesday, July 19th, and was charged with a felony of stalking and a misdemeanor harassment. He's being held in the Canyon County Jail on a 25000 bond. The council members who were targeted have not been identified, but they are said to be shaken by the incident. With that said, this is not the first time the man has been accused of making threats. In 2019, he was arrested for threatening to kill a former employee. He was also arrested in 2020 for making threats against a police officer. It is unclear what motivated Jones to target the city council members. However, his arrest has raised concerns about the safety of elected officials in Idaho. And kind of an update from last week, mosquitoes test positive for West Nile virus in Payette County. This comes by KTVB7 by staff. Last week, it was Canyon County, but it's now Payette County. Mosquitoes collected from a trap in the Fruitland Community Park area last Tuesday, July 18th, tested positive for the West Nile virus. This is the first time that the virus has been detected in the Payette County this year. The Payette County Mosquito Abatement District is urging residents to take precautions to protect themselves from mosquito bites. This includes wearing long-sleeve pants when outdoors, especially at dawn and dusk when mosquitoes are most active using insect repellents that contain DEET, Bacardin, or the oil of lemon or eucalyptus, and eliminating standing water around your home where mosquitoes can breed. If you're experiencing any symptoms of the West Nile virus, such as fever, headache, nausea, or vomiting, they recommend you see a doctor right away. Granted, the good news is that most people who are infected with the West Nile virus don't develop any symptoms. However, it is important to be aware of the risks and take precautions to protect yourself. Speaking of watery things, I guess, great start for the Boise River. This comes by KTVB7 by Hector Mendoza. As many of you know, the Boise River is a popular destination for floating, especially during the summer. This year, the floating season has been off to a record-breaking start. According to the Boise Parks and Recreation, more than 30,000 people have already floated the Boise River since the season began on June 29th. This is an 18% increase over the same period last year. The record-breaking start to the floating season is likely due to the hot weather. 
The temperatures in Boise have been in the 90s for most of July, which makes floating a refreshing way to cool off. If you're thinking about floating the Boise River this summer, there are a few things you can do to keep in mind. First, it is important to start early in the day. The river gets crowded later in the afternoon. You may have trouble finding a parking spot. And the second is to be sure to wear sunscreen and or a hat. The sun can be very strong on the river and you don't want to get burned. And third, bring plenty of waters and snacks. You'll be sweating a lot, so it's important to stay hydrated. Finally, be respectful of your floaters, the river is shared, and to be sure to give plenty of room for others. Now moving a little bit more easternly, Idaho Falls relocates power lines. This comes by the East Idaho News by staff. For those curious or with questions, Idaho Falls Power is moving power lines from overhead to underground in an alley between Park and Shoop Avenues. The project is expected to take about two months to complete. The project is being done to improve safety and reliability. The underground power lines are less likely to be damaged by weather events such as windstorms and ice storms. They're also less visible, which makes the downtown area more attractive. The project will require the closure of sections of the alley behind the Rogers building. The closure is scheduled to begin on July 25th and is expected to last until mid-September. During the closure, businesses in the area will be accessible. However, there may be temporary inconveniences such as detours and noise. The Idaho Falls Power is asking businesses and residents in the area to be patient during the project. The company says the project is important to improving the safety and reliability of the power grid. Also keeping with the Idaho Falls and power theme, power stored in Idaho Falls. This comes by the East Idaho News by Andrea Olson. Last week, many people in Idaho Falls experienced a power outage. The outage affected about 1,000 customers in the west side of the city. It began on Tuesday morning around 8.30 a.m. and affected customers in the areas of Bluebird Lane, Driver Street, and Newman Drive. The Idaho Falls power worked to restore power as quickly as possible. However, it took until Wednesday afternoon for power to be restored to all customers. The cause of the outage was a problem with the power line. Idaho Falls power is still investigating the incident. The outage is affected a number of businesses and homes in the area. Some of those businesses had to close and others were forced to operate on generators. Residents in the affected areas were asked to conserve energy as much as possible. They were also asked to report any downed power lines or other problems to Idaho Falls power. Idaho Falls Power apologized for the inconvenience and asked for patience as they worked to restore the power to the affected areas. The company said they're doing everything they can to get the power back on the line as quickly as possible. And lastly, we come to our last quickie here, train and car collide near Pocatello. This comes by the East Idaho News by Rhett Nelson. A collision happened on Tuesday morning at the intersection of Highway 30 and Pocatello Creek Road. A semi-truck was attempting to cross the tracks when it was struck by a train. The driver of the semi was taken to the hospital in a non-life-threatening injuries. The train engineer was not injured. The collision caused significant damage to the semi-truck and the train. The track was also damaged and the train was not able to continue on its journey. The cause of the collision is still under investigation. However, it is believed that the semi-truck may have tried to cross the track too soon. This is the second train collision in Idaho in recent weeks. For those that remember, back in June, a train collided with a car in Boise, killing the driver of that car. The train collisions are a serious safety hazard and it is important to be aware of train schedules and be careful when crossing train tracks.
With that all said, thank you for listening to the entire podcast. I sincerely hope you found it enjoyable and valuable. If I missed any important points or provided incorrect information, please feel free to reach out to me via email at localyokelidaho2022 at gmail.com or on Twitter by tweeting me at localyokelidaho. As a one-man show, I'm not able to cover everything, but I'll do my best to cover the most important and interesting stories going on. Thank you for your continued support and assistance. That's all for now, and I wish you a fantastic rest of your week. Godspeed. Thank you.